Welcome to Yorkshire Dance Presents, a podcast series about dance and dementia. Across four episodes, we'll take a look at our dance and music care home project, In Mature Company, a project to tackle social isolation for residents in care homes who are living with dementia. We'll also talk about our research method, Dementia Care Mapping, and talk to some of the people who've been influential in this project so far. We're Lauren and Lily and we work for Yorkshire Dance, a charity which champions the value of dance and its development in Yorkshire. We are the Dementia Care Mappers on Yorkshire Dance's Immature Company project. Dementia Care Mapping is the research tool we are using to evaluate the impact of the project and we'll be talking about this in more detail in episode 3 of the series. Today we are joined by our wonderful artists who deliver the creative sessions within the care homes. Today we are joined by Kirsty Arnold, Ellen Turner, Tora Head, Will Fletcher and Rachel Clark. Unfortunately, we're missing our sixth artist, Ozzy, who can't join us today. For the purposes of the podcast, all names of care home residents have been changed. Hello, Kirsty. We'll start with you. Hello. Kirsty, could you tell us a little bit about how you became interested in working with older people? Um, I think it's more about being, I became more interested in working with um, the community. Um, I, after kind of lots of performing and touring and dancing as a performer myself, I was interested in how kind of my experience of my body um, and all of the great things that I um, had the luxury of um, appreciating as a dancer, how that could fit into community work um and Yorkshire Dance had a call out for this particular project um and yeah it was an age group I was interested in working with I have a good relationship with the older people in my life um so it was a new experience um with Yorkshire Dance great and Tora you've worked quite closely with Kirsty over the first couple of years of the project what was it for you that kind of particularly drew you to this project when you saw the recruitment go out from Yorkshire Dance? Uh, hi, Lauren and Lily. Yes, um, I um, I was doing a bit of work uh, with elderly people before I saw the call out for Yorkshire Dance, um, and yeah, I'm I'm interested in how we how we deal with aging and how we can work with our bodies in society and make us feel better by moving and being connected. Oh, amazing. And then, hi, Will. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Would you be able to talk a little bit about some of the creative projects that you've done in care homes before and tell us a bit about what it's like to be a musician in this setting? Sure. Um, I've been a musician for about five years freelance and I've been very lucky having the chance to work with a lot of older people uh, in these kind of settings. Um, I've done some creative projects with bands in care homes, uh, doing interactive concerts, uh, playing a lot of, uh, I describe it reminiscence work, so playing a lot of older songs from when people were growing up. And I just really love working in that setting. So when this came up, I, I just love the opportunity to, to have a go. And I really wanted the opportunity to work with some dancers, which seemed a very exciting thing to try and do. And having worked with everyone on the the team for two years, it's just been a fantastic opportunity. Is it particularly different um, being a musician in a care setting to kind of other settings that you've worked in? 
it's actually taught me a lot about performing uh, on a stage because when you work in a home, you've got to really learn to use your instrument to communicate, especially when you work with people with dementia. You've got to be a lot, use a lot of nonverbal techniques and use your instrument to really kind of describe what you want to do and really try and create an atmosphere. So it, it's been, yeah, it's very different. And I've learned a lot through doing it. Amazing. And um, Ellen, we know that a lot of time goes into planning the sessions. Um, can you tell us what your planning process is, um, how you decide on the content, and um, how flexible do you have to be? Do you have to change things last minute, or do you sort of let the plan decide the session? Yes, hello. Hi there. Yes, planning. I think particularly at the start, before we knew what the project was going to be, planning was massive because I just didn't really know what to expect so I tried to plan um for any eventuality and over obviously over the two years it then got easier to kind of know what activities would work and what would be more challenging um it also uh, at the start it was the first time that I'd worked with uh Will and Rachel so it was also getting used to knowing how they work and trying to find a kind of cohesive collaborative process together so basically at the start it took a lot longer but towards the end it became very easy especially with Will and Will because we knew how each other worked we almost kind of got in sync with our uh, like superhero power of knowing how we were going to be thinking and what what we all knew what would work. When I when we did our planning, uh, we quite liked to work with loose themes because it, it just made it easier for us to uh, come up with creative tasks and uh, make it a little bit more uh, creative for the residents, but also for us really as deliv- deliv- facilitators, as facilitators. So we had themes that were like uh Yorkshire Day and uh movies I think we had one that was like movies and 1950s eras I mean that sounds like a lot of or themes there already that you use so that's really exciting I think the way that you and Rachel and Will work as well is is so interesting and it's so it kind of brings out um kind of the way that the residents interact with those themes, it really kind of, it brings out their interests and, and they they engage in totally different ways by having those themes. And I know that Kirsty and Tora, you work a little bit differently in terms of how you plan um, and how you work within a session. Would you be able to say a little bit about how you start a plan for a session and what are the first things, the first steps that you take to plan a creative session? And we'll go to you, Kirsty, first, if that's all right. I think actually sort of, the key or it has been for us about working in that environment is about actually being a great improviser rather than a great planner and I think some of those skills of improvisation so we might maybe have a a structure of maybe how we want to open and close like we have we talk about having this kind of soft opening or kind of um that when we enter the space that it's not right, bam, we're going to do a session that maybe we've got time for conversation and introduction. And the same thing that we're, when we leave, we can kind of, this we're leaving this, it's almost like if we've done a good session, we can kind of disappear out of the room and the interactions and the communication and the conversations carry on without us needing to facilitate them. So we sort of have a, a shape 
of what we want to achieve. I mean, maybe achieve is too strong a word. But then also it really is about um, when you're in the session, being there and present with the people. And I mean, for anyone who's experienced someone living with dementia, each day can be really different. And I think that's part of the approach that we take in the sessions, like the skills as an improvising dance or musical artist um, a key to what we do in the sessions I think that could be like I know that with this person I'm going to slow down my sense of time a little bit or um, I know that with this person um, we're going to play with physical interactions or eye contact or yeah improvisational scores it's it's super interesting as well to see how you both work so differently but have such amazing outcomes of the project and I think that's that's the beautiful thing for myself and Lauren going in as dementia care mappers to be able to say, oh, we, we're doing these two very different approaches and yet we're getting these engaged residents in totally different ways. And I think that's that's really interesting. And um, Ellen, I'm just going to come back to you. Um, yeah, um, just listening to Kirsty, and I think um, I've got a feeling that there is, there is probably one similarity that we probably have um, and I think that is that we're probably very both, uh, well, all of the, I would have imagined everybody in the team would be quite observational. Like I find a big part of the job is watching and observing, seeing how people react to different uh, tasks, but also seeing and learning about each individual in the group. And if we find something out about that person, we will try the next week or in pre in in future planning or whatever to make sure that we're creating something for that person so for example we we found out that there was a, a participant who was hard of hearing and also visually impaired but he loved irish music so the next week we made sure that we spent time at the end of the session or during that we'd go over to that participant and have at like a moment with Irish music for him. And that was beautiful to witness as well from our side, um, being a dementia care mapper, seeing that progression from the 20 weeks of someone who was really struggling to engage generally and then how you adapted your style to engage that person in a totally new way that was so person-centered to his needs. And I think that's the beautiful thing about this project, that it has, it has that flexibility and that observational side within that creative um, approach as well and um, Rachel I'll just come to you as well oh hello um I was just kind of going to tie on from both kind of groups because I've been lucky enough as an assistant to work across both groups um so for example covering Torah um and I've covered Kirsty at some points as well at the beginning of the project and it definitely is a person-centered approach that both team has that makes it work in whatever setting regardless of whatever planning that comes about uh, we just gauge what the session is um see what the people are responding to on that day and really just kind of going with the flow with a bag of tricks behind us um but definitely there's that person-centered tie across both teams that makes it especially quite easy for us as artists to swap in and out of groups and be able to carry on with the flow of things absolutely yeah I think that's the joy of being an artist isn't it that you can be 
you can step into a room and turn that room into creative space and by what you're seeing and experiencing. And I think that this project really highlights that. Great stuff. I'm going to come to you next, Tora. Um, so what for you, what does a normal session look like? What kind of things do you do? And I use normal in the in the kind of loosest term as possible. You know, what does what does a regular session look like for you? Yes. So we do sessions uh, once a week in two different care homes. And I would say that each week feels and are completely different. So we start the session with, it takes quite a time to sit in the circle and, and also listen to, to the space. And that's like the arrival time, as Kirsty mentioned before. Um, and yeah, we, we say which day it is and what time it is. And also to make sure that people, if they don't want to be in the session there, they can also leave the session. Um, and then, yeah, we take uh, some time to be with movements and see how they are experiencing the movements to sort of check in um, with them. And um, so we start with movements. Um, supported with a musician that makes the sounds and um, yeah it's almost a communication with the residents so it's uh, sort of what they feel they want to do we sort of take yeah we're listening a lot to their energy and so we have a section of moving warming up and then into more maybe more improvisation free movements and then um, we are also then working with instruments um, and yeah, and then sometimes if the energy is really high, we go for more, maybe more energetic, let's say. And then we have a cool down as well. We were really like, we take time and we experience uh, or sort of maybe reflect a bit on how the session was. Because it's, um, it, there is a lot of information, as Ellen and Kirsty said, there is a lot of things going on. So it looks really different. And it's, it's often circle based. So some people are standing and some people are sitting, depending on their, their needs and what they can do. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that approach about how you welcome people into the space and how you ease people into activity and engagement, because that feels really important that it's not, we're here, we're engaging, we're ready, we're always alert. And actually that it's, it's a slow process, but it's one that's, that's really thought about and really cared for for those people so I think that's yeah that's really interesting to hear and um, I'm going to come um to you Will um to hear a little bit about how does a, a session sort of look for you on the music side because you know I think we've heard a little bit about how it might be planned and the, the thoughts that come into into mind when you're when you're thinking about movement and dance but what does what do you go through when you're planning a music session? What are your thoughts? And do you think about instruments or do you think about sounds or you know, how does that relate to your planning and what you do when you're delivering music? I think Kirsty mentioned a really interesting phrase earlier, which was a soft start, which we've used uh, as a beginning in that group a lot, which might be uh, having a tongue drum or just some way to welcome people into the room. So using a lot of softer sounds for that and also ending sessions in both groups. We've also had soft tongue drum sounds, which is like a metal bowl that you can play with some rubber mallets. And it's got this really lovely kind of ocean-like sound. And 
I think for me, it is about choosing instruments that really shape the tone of the room. So maybe having some wooden instruments out, whether they're sort of like rattles, they might have a bit of a foresty kind of tone or thinking ocean sounds, which might be more metallic and beads and things like that. And you can really build a palette so you know what you hand out is going to have this effect on the room. So you can kind of shape the tone that way. I found that kind of a, a nice approach to have when thinking of percussion. Great. Yeah. And I think it's important to say as well that you are a percussionist, Will, and so you bring in lots of varieties of instruments, some that some residents have seen before and some maybe that they have not. And I think that's that's a really interesting approach because there is no required way to play those instruments because they don't know how to play them at the start. And actually the exploration is kind of looking at the instrument and touching it and see how it feels before they even figure out how it makes the sound. Yeah, I think the thing about percussion is when you look at an instrument like that, you just want to grab it and have a go with it. And I think that's inherently quite a, quite a childlike thing that you, you see something and you want to know how it works, so you play with it. Um, I remember when I was young, I remember I got in a lot of trouble for uh, finding my mum's my favourite plate and dropping it on the floor. Mm-hmm. And uh, she asked me why I did it. And I said, I just wanted to know what it sounded like. And I think that's that's kind of true on every age. You just see something and you want to know how does it sound? How does it work? And and that's that's a real tactile thing that goes with movement, I think, really well. I mean, I'm sure your mum wasn't too happy if you're smashing the plates at all times, but absolutely, you do work to drop things and see what they sound or hit them against other things. Or I like to clap in um, in under bridges and down ginnels because I'm like, oh, each one sounds different. And it's it's cool to hear what that might sound like. So I, I do I do get that sort of interest in in objects and how they sound. And um, Rachel, I thought it'd be nice to sort of hear from you as well about um for you what does what does a session look like? What does it um what does it usually include? And when and when you come away from it, what do you what do you want to have experienced during that time and what kind of brings joy to you in those moments within the session? Yeah, so we kind of have um a similar approach like Tora was saying, we kind of just build the space as we arrive. So that could be led by um, Ellen coming down the corridors with their little trolley with music blasting off it and just to kind of give a sense of arrival. They can kind of hear us coming down the corridor, which is quite exciting. And especially some of the residents are like, oh, they're on the way. We know they're coming, which is like quite a nice thing to step into a space. Yeah, we use that beginning, just kind of uh, bring all our equipment into the circle. We play some music. We do a lot of one-to-one interaction. We go around, shake everyone's hand, see how they're feeling today, get some updates, some gossip, have a little chat. So we do build the space a lot, which is, I think, is really beneficial because then we kind of get a gauge and a feel for what the session might pan out like. You know, if someone's having maybe a down day or an up day or someone wants to do a certain thing, so then we kind of feed that into how we then go on to deliver um ellen is really good at setting themes so she has a theme for everything so we kind of um as she mentioned like we have different themes that we kind of work with in our plan um and that kind of comes with how we might warm up um how we might include props senses of touch and um musical tasks from will um from working across both, um, I think working with Ellen and Will, we do use a lot of props to connect the room. Um, so a lot of things that we use is like big parachutes that you can just open out into the middle of the space. Everyone kind of has 
a bit of the ribbon loop and because in the care home setting and the living rooms sometimes the spaces could be quite big so you can be quite far away from the other person on the other side of the room so what we're kind of interested in is connecting people through not only just physical touch uh, like hand-to-hand interaction with our neighbors next to us but how do we touch one another across the room but then using props to try and fill that space so we try and do um things like that with parachutes ribbons um elastics kind of all sorts you name it and then we have obviously a musical task which I think Will's probably better off explaining than I am with all his technical terms and whatnot um, and then obviously we have a calm cool down and we always end our sessions on a sing-along and we hold hands connecting the group together and one of our favorites is Kesara, which all the residents love and sing along and it just leaves on a really high note and as we're packing away we like to carry on that sing-along so one of our residents in the care home um, really liked, um, oh, what song is it, Will? Will the one man went to mo, went to mo, that one. <laughs> so we all have a sing-along and we'll all sing along that as we leave. And there's been like reports saying that they still carry on singing that song once we've left, because obviously it's a countdown song. So kind of like leaving our essence in the space is another key thing as well as building and arriving. Totally. Yeah, that's that's kind of a really interesting point and something that we've definitely seen in dementia care mapping as well is that what's that post-session impact? What do we see when those sessions are over and how is that changing the behaviours and the mood and engagement levels of the group? Um, and it's something that I think is still needs to be explored. It's, it's a whole bigger topic on what happens when the sessions are over and is it realistic to, to expect that every single person mood is going to be higher and is it realistic to expect that people are just going to return back to normal and and whatever that normal might be? So I think, yeah, that post session impact, like you say, is really is really important, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about that a bit further on. And um, before uh, Ellen, you mentioned um, about uh, someone in the care home who um, who you realised had um, a visual and, and sight in, impairment and how you dealt with that, and that was really interesting. Um, for a dementia care mapper to see that but also for you to to change how you um interacted with with that resident and what he needed and I just thought it might be interesting to maybe ask um Kirsty whether you have an approach to how you may adapt your sessions for people with a variety of different needs and what 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 those adaptations might be I think it's really useful to maybe know certain things like it it's useful to know if somebody can see or hear or um, so to some level, I think it's really useful to know a little bit about how a person may or may not be able to interact. Um, There's another sort of part of me that thinks sometimes that like, so often someone can be kind of defined by a particular diagnosis or by a particular condition um so I think sometimes it also feels useful to come in and um be sort of open-minded maybe take a little bit more time if we need to or change our approach during the session um but I like to think that the condition doesn't necessarily define um how we may or may not interact with somebody and actually sometimes I think like for example in one of the the homes there's um a guy who has um 
I mean, he has Parkinson's, but he the thing that the care staff were often quite worried about is he had hypertension, like low blood pressure. So whenever he would stand up, would always kind of um, stress the care staff out a little bit. But in terms of um, like he was at a point, and this is not the same as him getting out of bed in the morning. We'd been moving with him. The reason he was standing up was because he'd been moving his legs, he'd been moving his body, he was in a place where it was okay to stand up. And because in the situation that we were, we were able to facilitate him doing that because that was something that he wanted to do. Whereas I think a lot of the day today in the care home, he would be discouraged from standing up because of the diagnosis of having a low blood pressure as part of his condition. So I think we actually benefit from maybe not not defining the different needs of people so much and more kind of and also some some of those things can be super unpredictable anyway um so I think more important than that is just I mean it's useful to know what's in the room and what you're working with and to have some background knowledge of of how that might change someone's way of interacting with you but I think at the end of the day we meet the person for the person and we meet we meet them wherever they're at today that might be a good day it might be a bad day um and I think that feels maybe more important than knowing exactly what is of inverted commas wrong with them or their condition or diagnosis great thank you for sharing that um we're just going to um play a little audio clip um from a session here at Pennington Court um and um it gives a little sense of what the session might be like so I'll play that now played a piece of music uh, for one of the residents who who does have a hearing impairment and can you tell us a bit about why particular music was chosen for that resident and why that was important for them to sort of hear that within the sessions? I think that was based on something Ellen found a few weeks previously is he made a comment about liking Irish music and then I was sat next to him uh, at one point and this gentleman he suddenly he he really woke up throughout the session and he started chatting about when he was in Ireland, his wife used to fly over and they used to go to this one particular pub and listen to this one song. So we managed to find it. And this song just had so much meaning for him that it really just changed the way he reacted. We managed to have a playlist for that Irish music and he just really came alive. So I think having that knowledge and and finding those little things out that maybe even the care workers don't know about the person's background can be really powerful. Absolutely. Um, I thought it might also be interesting to sort of talk a little bit about um, some of the findings that we that we um, we got from the dementia care mapping report. Um, and one of the sort of the key things that we sort of explore 
um, throughout the project, but also that came up a lot in 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 the report was about um, one-to-one interactions and then how that might increase a resident's mood and engagement level um, because it, it allows you to be a bit more responsive to that individual and maybe be a bit more person-centred. Um, I wonder, Tora, if you'd be able to sort of talk to us a bit about um, what's important to consider when interacting with someone on a one-to-one level. I think, I think for me, during the sessions, I'm struggling a lot with, um, let's say, acting in a care home. Like, I feel like the more sort of, the more I'm approaching someone on a level of like, how can I say, like on, on a not um, acting level, if that makes sense. Like if I actually sit next to someone and I take time being with someone, I feel for me personally, that approach works better to get to understand someone maybe before approaching with, let's say, a lot of energy or a lot of, um, if you have props, props to really yeah, get to know the person. And I also feel something that's important is to, to take nothing for granted, like to actually understand the person who is in the space. And sometimes also you get to know someone through touch within the session. And I think also as dancers, we learn quite a lot of how to read people through um, through touch and through bodily communication. And then sometimes it's really difficult as well. It can take, take weeks or even sometimes I feel I've been in uh, in a camera for a long time and I still don't really know who the person is. I think that's when you are delivering the sessions that sometimes it can be quite difficult actually to get to know people within the session because it's, you know, we don't spend every day there. So it's also hard sometimes to, to get to know people. But I would say a, a slow approach often for me personally works. Yeah. Um, and Ellen, we... Um... Tora mentioned there about uh, touch and about the importance of touch um, and how it has a positive impact on a resident's well-being. Um, and I know you might want to touch a bit on one-to-ones as well um, and how that impacts a resident. So could you tell us a bit more about how you might use touch uh, in your sessions and, and maybe respond a bit to that one-to-one interaction? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can totally relate to uh, what Tora said about um, in some circumstances, you have to kind of really uh, be quite sensitive around um, different people because not everybody's going to be um, as vocal or as physical as other participants. And actually, it's part, it's part of the, the sometimes it's part of the fun of trying to find out more about somebody maybe who's a bit quieter or isn't as engaging. I sometimes feel like it's a bit like detective work. Um, I know that uh, Kirsty also went and did one-to-ones in people people who didn't come to the group session. So we used to go and do um, uh, people who were more bed-bound and would be in their rooms. And they may have uh, later stages of dementia. So trying to uh, communicate with them would be a little bit more tricky. Um, but when you manage to get through to them, it's, it it's, feels like a real sense of achievement. Um, some of the, the processes that I did was, I think the first thing would be to see how exactly, like you said, about touch, see how they are. Uh, even to hold hands and actually even probably even before that is eye contact for me 
is seeing if I can engage with their eye contact or if they're fast asleep trying different sounds and just seeing if what they respond to, if anything. And like Tori said, sometimes it can be they'll react straight away and sometimes it could be weeks. But when you have a breakthrough moment, it feels ah so, so great. Like I remember one lady I worked with who had very little communication, verbal communication. Uh, she was completely bed bound. Um, and I tried different things. I tried holding her hand. She wasn't really responding to that. Uh, tried movement in front of her. She wasn't really aware on that either. And then I, I went to different um, audio tracks and I tried um, Edelweiss. And all of a sudden, she just starts singing at the top of her lungs, the whole words. I didn't even know she could sing. And we just spent uh, 15 minutes just singing Edelweiss over and over again. And then slowly from that, she then was already engaged. We introduced touch and started to broaden her movement as well. So it's those kind of little nuggets when you're like, yay! Yeah, absolutely. I think it's that's kind of what this podcast episode is called as well, is about celebrating those small moments, you know, that those moments of joy that happen um, that's so unexpected, but also fill the room with joy just between yourself and that other person. And I think that that's the beautiful thing that this project really enhances is those small moments and those moments of, of particular, like, heightened joy. Um with that in mind, um, I wondered if, Rachel, you might want to talk a little bit about the other side of, of it. Is there anything that you've tried in a session that maybe just hasn't worked and was quite difficult and maybe kind of explain a little bit about my maybe why that was and, and what it was that you did to sort of maybe change that? And Yeah, I think it's kind of um, what I said earlier. It's about um, going into a session with a kind of a rough plan and an idea of maybe how we're going to deliver that day. But sometimes res some residents may just not want to engage and it might just be maybe an off day for them. So we might have certain ideas and stuff in mind. And then when we get into session, for example, if we've brought a prop, for example, that we think might work within the space uh, to connect each other, and that might just come to a flop pretty much because one, practically it might not work to the residents just might not want to engage with it um so we always have to try and find a way between the three of us to communicate that without trying to let the lesson drop or maybe change the I guess the atmosphere that we're trying to create so like I was saying earlier it's always good to pair and have a I guess a bag of tricks and um and it's always like super super handy to have somebody like Will on board because especially with the group we've worked in, they love a good sing-along. So if there is a moment of kind of, okay, this doesn't work, how can we kind of regroup and think of ways to engage participants? Um, Will will just bring out one of his cool and exciting equipment and then we will have a sing-along or we'll do a kind of a call and response with music um, musical instruments, which I think in the care home that we've just recently been working at, was a big kind of lifesaver for us I guess in managing a, ses a session they just they were very musical and um, they always wanted to sing they were really good with the rhythm so 
Will could like explore like different levels with them. So I think, again, like I said, it's just about managing the space and the people and taking that time to have that one-to-one interaction and conversations to just see how people are feeling that day or if they um, kind of want to guide the session down a certain route as well. So we've done um, things where people might suggest songs or maybe something to do and then we kind of have a quick like regroup in the middle of the circle and then divert to obviously try and open up what they're wanting to explore so I think it's like a top tip would probably just be constantly kind of on the ball ready to adapt be open-minded and again it's that person-centered approach that needs to be at key of everything Absolutely. And I think it'd be really nice to sign up, maybe hear from Will about that, because I know you work in both sessions um, and you work kind of quite interdisciplinary with both of those sessions and whether there's something that you could share about your insights into things that have happened in both of the different sessions that maybe hasn't worked and how you may have responded depending on which session you were in because they both have sort of different approaches yeah that's, that's a good question and I think there's it always go, it goes back to being able to improvise which I think is the same in both groups coming across something maybe someone reacts badly to a piece of music perhaps because maybe it brings up some emotion that isn't good isn't pleasant or brings back a memory that is a bit unpleasant so you I think you have to be ready to kind of go sideways a little bit for those reasons so I think that is the thing that's kind of been across both teams is this yeah being adaptable uh, and kind of communicating between all three of us so you can really catch someone's eye line and just be able to change and know when something's not working uh, I think knowing that if something's really energetic and it's not working we're ready to go to something calm so knowing that we can all change the tone really quickly or the other way around if, if it's a bit of an emotional song like I think someone mentioned earlier we've been singing Edelweiss and people might be singing, uh, crying a little bit. We might want to just change to something, really change the mood. And I think being able to do that, it, it really helps, I think. Yes, you don't, you never quite know how people are going to respond, do you, on each day and to what music and to what activity. So I guess, yeah, like you say, improvisation and flexibility and also just getting to know those people in, in the way that you can. Um, to sort of figure out how you move forward with that. I think that's it's really interesting. Kirsty, I wondered if you could sort of maybe tell us a little bit about is there anything that you've sort of wanted to explore creatively, um, but maybe hasn't haven't had the chance to yet? And if and if year three came around and there was all the resources in all the world, what you'd like to see happen creatively within the sessions or in in the care homes? I um, think in terms of delivering the sessions and in terms of things you need to deliver a session, I guess the resources can be really minimal I think if the people that are delivering the session have the time and um, commitment to the people in the room what you actually need to do that is very minimal Um, I think something that we've I think initially I had a lot of thoughts about how we make it sustainable how that can be something that can be in people's lives um, once we've 
finish the project because the nature of project-based stuff is it comes to an end and then we leave and take with it some of those things. Um, I think the people that we've worked with have appreciated regular coming together as a group. Um, and I think the very like minimal of uh, what the project delivers, it facilitates a space for people to come together and for people to connect. Um, and I think we did have lots of thoughts about how we can help that happen um, on a longer term within the care home staff themselves and the people that work there. Um, and uh, having uh, since during all of this sort of COVID landscape worked in a care home and experienced the reality of what that is, um, understood a little bit more um, about the structure of those places, kind of appreciated how underfunded, undervalued they are in society. Um, I think those expectations of care staff carrying that on are unrealistic um, and there is enough for those people to be doing I think what I would love to see on a longer bigger scale is much more involvement from uh, artists um, professional artists so I know there's this area of like dance that we call community dance and that kind of makes me cringe a little bit that it needs to be separate from professional um, artists and I would love to see professional artists working in care homes, creating spaces like that. And, and well, maybe not just even artists, <laughs> it's just more people spending time, especially after all of this, when we really can't do that. Um, uh, I think there's a lot to be said for different parts of the community um, sharing space together. Um, I don't think the, pro I don't think immature company can facilitate that. Um, <laughs> but um, on a bigger scale, it, it's less about kind of how we can do bigger and better within the sessions itself. It's more that things like this need to happen um, regularly and are good for people. And there are lots of ways that this could be happening and it, it's not at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting how you touch on the kind of the care home environment and the challenges that come with that and um sort of the day-to-day -day, um, challenges that you, you might face, um, not just being an artist, but being a resident family member, care staff, whoever you are, that it's quite a challenging environment to facilitate. And I just wondered if we could, I mean, we've spoken so highly of the project and it is amazing, but it would be nice to sort of kind of talk a little bit about um, any kind of difficulties that maybe um, we might have faced and, and how you might have dealt with maybe the emotional impact of this project as well. Um, I'm going to start with going to Tora for that question, if that's all right. And then we might come back to some others. Yeah, um, I think a lot of what's going on in the session is reflecting back at you in a way. I mean, since this project started, it's been two years now. I feel like I haven't experienced teaching in a place such as care homes. I think it's important to sort of sit with being uncomfortable. And also can maybe sense that it doesn't have to look good. You don't have to present anything. I feel that's not really what it is about. And I think it's really hard work to be able to do that. I, I feel like I'm still sort of trying to understand what that is for me as an, yeah, coming back to an improviser or a dance artist, like maybe the feeling of having to deliver something. And also coming back to Curse said that you create a space, like the importance of 
of being together. And sometimes, yeah, that's what's important. So I would say like, I feel like we struggle together. You know, I feel like um, there is a lot of information coming towards me as a person who's delivering the session. And then, of course, I'm delivering out as well to people who are in the space. And I found that's that's like, that's what it is about. That's where you find a lot of things, but it can be really hard. So I think the feeling then of feeling, um, you know, maybe not satisfied or maybe doesn't look as a thought. Uh, I think that could be looked at as failure. Mm. I found that quite interesting at the moment. Yeah. Throughout this work we've been doing. I think it is, it is interesting what do we deem as, as as a successful session and what is a failed session? And also having the role of dementia care mapping within this project kind of, I guess it doesn't, it doesn't highlight that, but it has, it has that element of we're evaluating what we're seeing and doing. And actually that, how does that feel as an artist delivering that? And how does it feel delivering something that's being observed and then turned into data? And like, it's, it's a useful tool to have, but it also it's it means that it brings challenges around um, who you are as an artist and how you deliver in these settings and what it means to 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 face those challenges on a regular basis. I think um, so. I think that's really important, and thank you for sharing that as well because I think it's on it's an honest representation of what it feels like to work in those settings, and I think that's equally important to talk about when we're talking about what we do and how we deliver and all those great moments to talk about the difficulties we face and um, working in them um Rachel yeah I'll come to you so I think like if we're looking at it on I guess how it affects us and you're talking about the emotional side of it um I think one thing that I've struggled with quite a lot on the project is my personal connection with the residents so we have this most amazing bond with the residents and it's incredible and it's like they become your friends and you see them every week and you get updates and whatnot and I found the hardest thing for me in the project is saying bye um, and having to leave those residents at the end of a project or um, even like the smallest things on a day when you come to deliver a session and a resident may not be there because they might be poorly or just don't feel like it that day and the area of concern of is that resident okay um am I allowed to go see them um yeah so making this personal connection is like absolutely wonderful but then for me has this kind of emotional like oh no I've got to say bye you build up this amazing relationship with these people over what 20 weeks and then it's got to come to an end and I think the coming to an end is the hardest bit about this project because it's so wonderful and then it goes so yeah, I think that's the thing that I'm, I've struggled with, and I think still struggling with even like the anxiety of going into a new care home, knowing that it has to come to an end before it even has come to an end or even started. Like that's the one thing that is like a barrier for me as an artist. Is I'm not just there to do this work with them, dance, make these like connections through just touch, but they become like I said, friends, and then mm. yeah, and then it's it's over. So yeah, that's been a barrier for me. I think that, yeah, that's, it's really important to talk about that exit strategy of like, it, that makes it sound really formal. But what I mean by that is that how do you protect yourself and others when the project comes to an end? And as we say, we know that projects have to come to an end because that is project work. And um, how do we, yeah, how do we look after ourselves? Um, and how do we kind of foster those bonds that we've made and made them still feel important, even though they were 
over a shorter period of time or the fact that we can't keep delivering and how do we yeah how do we deal with that and I'd like to hear from um Will and Ellen about that just from a kind of a dance and also a music perspective and what that means to you and how do you say goodbye to those residents that you've been working with I can totally second what Rachel said about saying goodbyes the hardest I find it in general I find saying goodbye uh hard anyway when you've met somebody for 20 weeks and you've earned somebody who you can really see a massive progression with which I've you do see with even with people with dementia you can see progression and connection and the fact that they can start to uh recognize you suddenly having to uh leave that space uh is really hard um and I I don't know if I've got an answer for that maybe it's relating back to what Kirsty said about figuring a way about how to um make projects more sustainable how do we um how do we have make it uh on uh what's the word i'm thinking of something that we a package that you can do for care staff when we've left that can continue the progresses that we've we've made maybe that's the answer um but yeah saying saying goodbye and, and having an exit strategy is I haven't quite mastered that yet um I do find that um when it does when we do have those kind of more emotional moments with participants something that did help me uh, and I think our team was we would always have at the end of the the sessions the three of us would come together and we would have an an evaluation of the day and we would give each of us an opportunity to tell to say how we felt uh, and any issues that we or emotions that we were feeling we would be able to raise raise and then we could maybe go away think about how, and think about them and assess how we can deal with those any issues or challenges that we faced does that make sense yeah absolutely and I think yeah that's great that's really good it's a hard question to answer it really is. <laughs> is, is is there a right answer I don't know I don't think there is and I think yeah so thank you for sharing that um Will can I come to you to talk a little bit about maybe your exit strategy and is there is there ways that you something things that you do to protect yourself and also um, how you deal with that sort of last session and those moments where you know you're not going to go in and keep delivering. Yeah, I think this is a it is a really tough one, as Ellen and Rachel have said. And it, the last session is always emotional, but I, I try and draw some positives from the fact you hear care homes that we were in two years ago and you hear comments like the residents really enjoyed it. They got so much from it. They talked about you for ages afterwards. And you sort of realize, oh, that the project has had impact outside of us being there, that they remembered it and they've had these great experiences. And I I try and also think that maybe the fact that it's only 20 weeks, maybe that adds to it being special, the fact that it's not going to continue forever. So maybe maybe in some ways that, that can add to it, the fact that you're going in to do this wonderful, finite, special experience, and then you're going to leave. That's what I try and draw from it. But I I think we all probably think of it in different ways. Mm. And that's a beautiful thing about having lots of different artists on it is that everyone's coming at it from a different perspective and a different angle. I 
I'm going to um, kind of ask you all a question because at the end of um, each episode, we kind of want to ask our guests the same question. And um, so we'll kind of go around and um, and sort of share um, individually. But I thought it'd be nice to kind of kind of talk about maybe what um, what your personal experience of the project with is. So what is your kind of do you have a favorite standout moment um, so far, um, it could be something really small or it could be something huge, but it'd be nice to sort of hear from from you all individually about if there's a particular moment and you're all looking at me like a bit terrified. So I don't know who to go to first, um, but I am going to go to Ellen first because you're making some strong eye contact with me. So I feel like that means you've got one ready to go. Yeah, there's there's loads. There's absolutely loads. Um from moments of realising how great me, Will and uh, Rachel work as a team and kind of almost uh, being able to have like superhuman powers where we can just look at each other across the room and then go, I know what you're thinking. That's a great idea. Let's do that task. And then knowing that it was going to work with the residents. like Those kind of moments are like brilliant. Um, But a particular moment that I think I will never forget is... Uh, when I was working with a lady and I hadn't quite figured her out yet. I was trying different um, tasks with her, just try and connect with her. And then I just asked her a question of, oh, what's your favourite music? I didn't think I would get a response. And she goes, quite like opera. I was thinking, wow, oh my gosh, she, she had a conversation with me. And then she proceeded to start singing opera. And we then started singing opera together. Um, and no one, and then I then forwarded that information onto the care staff, which they, no one knew that she even sang. And from that, they then, the care staff then went and got her a radio and she would sing opera every week in her, um, in her room. And I knew that that was down to that one-to-one session um, that I had with her. That's amazing. Yeah. I think that just shows the power of um, the person-centred approach as well in that example of, you know, how how do we interact with people on an individual basis? So that's great. Thanks for sharing that, Ellen. Um, I'm going to go to Kirsty next because she's making the next amount of eye contact than everyone else in the Zoom. So Kirsty, Hi. <laughs> I think there's so many things that you could do as a like sound bite of like how your work has benefited other people. And actually, I guess for me, some of the more interesting uh, moments are the kind of, I Tora spoke a little bit earlier about um, the sessions sometimes being a mirror for some things that you were also sort of um, noticing about yourself. And I think for me, some of those moments have been so kind of valuable you know this is not charity work this is not just about going in and kind of doing nice things for um people who are living with dementia or this is like I think the moments I really value are where someone has shown me something about myself or has made me um you know like check myself a little bit or taken me on an experience with them because maybe they uh might see the world a little bit differently and what is it for me to enter into that world um for a period and thank you for letting me enter into that world for a period um 
and seeing the world through kind of your eyes for a little bit. And I think that we have the privilege of being able to do that because we are not necessarily, we don't necessarily know the person's life or behavior or experience before something like dementia enters their world. So we really can um, have the luxury of, of, of getting to experience maybe what they're experiencing. So those moments um, where I'm allowed to enter their world a little bit and they share a little bit of, of what um, how they're seeing a situation or a moment they feel like, uh, yeah, that two, that that uh, reminder that it's a two-way dialogue and that they bring, that person has the potential to bring something into my life as much as I do um, into, into theirs. Thank you for that. That's, that's really lovely. Um, we'll go to Rachel next. Hi, Rachel. I'd say like, the one standout kind of memory or moment that stayed with me is from the first care home that we worked in. Um, there was a lovely gentleman who, um, at the beginning of the session, just wanted, just wanted to leave the space pretty much all the time, just wanted to stand up and leave the space. So he'd stand up and reach for his walker and leave, well, try to leave, and it was quite difficult for him to leave the space anyway because of his mobility. There were several occasions where I've asked um, care staff, you know, is it more beneficial if he was you know out of the session maybe it's a bit too much for him um but they insisted that he stayed in the session um so this kind of kind of put a bit of a red flag for me and I really wanted to get to know kind of more about him and maybe why he want, wanted to leave so um over the course of the 20 weeks I made it kind of my weekly mission just to spend some time with him um at first it it was it was difficult. Um, he wouldn't give me any eye contact. Would really avoid my gaze. Um, I just felt like I wasn't really receiving anything. But I really wanted to persevere. Um, so I kind of stuck to my guns a bit and kind of tried to find out as much about him as possible over the twenty weeks. So as I kept like kind of persevering with that. Um, I started to gain his trust. Um, I started to make that eye contact. He gave me a couple of smiles. Um, I found out he's quite a bit of a cheeky chappy. So I kind of changed the way I spoke to him. I'd be quite cheeky back. And then I realized that's where I was getting my response back from him. So just taking that time with him was like key. That was kind of a key kind of moment for me to go actually it's the time you spend with these residents that is most beneficial even if that's literally just trying to get the eye contact that Ellen mentioned earlier or like Tora said just sitting with them um and actually by the end of the 20 weeks the gentleman was involved in pretty much most activities that we were doing um he was using castanets and maracas and things that he would point blank refuse to take part in at the beginning he was then being fully involved in by the end of the 20 weeks his wife used to come visit the sessions um and she used to say how much he loved them and she'd never seen him this engaged before and just hearing that kind of response from family was really heartwarming um you know putting that time into a person and really figuring out what they need or what's the best way to communicate with them is really beneficial for the long run. Um, and his wife 
obviously from an outsider's perspective because it's hard to think see the progress you make sometimes in these set settings um you're just kind of invested in the situation or the person that the progress or the little detail doesn't actually come to light until someone maybe points it out or you take a step back and look over a course period of time and go actually so for me in that example the beginning of the 20 weeks he did not want to be in that space and that was like that was it it was clear he did not want to be there there was an anxiety around being in that space but then at the end he was laughing he was smiling I had eye contact he'd have a cheeky flirt you know and it was like giving someone that time is key and I took that especially onto the next care home and I've really invested that kind of learning to be in my everyday practice and I guess not even in just the care home settings I work with a lot of older adults in different settings um through Yorkshire dancers like dance on for example and I use that kind of practice in that setting and I come out with the same results and yeah it's just that was kind of like big moment that's kind of stuck with me as a deliverer that is a big moment especially that going from engaged from not engaged to engaged is like I mean that's what we strive for right to to engage those people that we that are struggling to engage in lots of different ways so I think that's a yeah that's a wonderful example so thank you Rachel Um, I'm going to come to you next Tora if that's all right if you could share with us a moment or a feeling that kind of has stood out to you yeah I think uh, for me it's coming back to touch and I feel we do this um, in the end of our sessions we do partner work so we place each other's hands or we support each other's hands sitting opposite each other or sometimes standing up. Yeah, I find I find the moments, the shared experience when I feel like I have to, that there is a time again to sort of sense and being with someone. And in the session, I really value that. Mm. And I find that very much alive in a way, even if it's really tiny. Great. Thank you, Tora. That's wonderful. And finally, Will, we'll come to you. I think there's been a lot of special moments, but I, th- I think one or two of the ones that really stand out is when we've been working with, for me, when I've been working with a, a couple where maybe one of the partners doesn't have dementia and the other does. And maybe some of the activities we, we've done have allowed them to communicate maybe for the first time for, for a long time. So I'm thinking of a musical example. We were working with a, a couple and he was starting to play a drum and they were sharing it and I think they were communicating non-verbally and it was just a really lovely moment to kind of see that happen. Thanks. Wonderful. So I just want to say a big thank you for you all today for giving up your time to talk to me about this project. Um, just to say that we we have lost Lauren. Um, she was listening to the podcast um, and she was in online but uh we it's just my voice that you're going to be hearing today so apologies for that she will be back in episode three Um, and speaking of episode three we're going to take a closer look at dementia care mapping um and what it's what it means to map creative sessions versus day-to-day life um and how are we using dementia care mapping within um within our project um, so yeah just a big thank you to you all for being here and for sharing and being so honest about your experiences I know they're going to be valuable to lots of people who listen and yeah thanks and I think we can do a big group bye so we can hear everyone's voices at the same time um, if we want to try bye. that out bye, bye. bye. thank you so thank you bye. thank you, thank you. <laughs>